Welcome to Cinema Reviewed. I'm your host, Toriano Newkirk, a.k.a. 90210. I'm here with my brother, Elijah Boxhill. What's up, Elijah? What's going on, guys? I'm happy to be here again. Uh, we also have a very special guest joining us today again. Uh, my close friend, Stephen Woods, a.k.a. Stizo. What's up, Stizo? Hey, hey, I'm special. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and dive into the Spider-Man related news that we got recently. Uh, we have the update that Morbius has been delayed because of Spider-Man No Way Home overperforming on the box office. Uh, what are your initial thoughts, Elijah, on the delay and how many times it's been delayed? Okay, so first I'm upset with how many times it's been delayed in general, but at the current moment, I think it's a really good move. I think Spider-Man No Way Home is going to be in the news for at least more, um, more or less a month uh, past where we're at right now. So I think them taking a break and uh, really letting it cool down for a little bit is going to do a lot for their movie. And I know they're getting a little bit of backlash because, you know, people do want to see this movie after No Way Home, but people are still going to see No Way Home. Some people still haven't seen it and still need to get into theaters to see it. So they're going to let that happen before they release a movie in, in two weeks. So honestly, I think it's a good decision. Definitely, definitely. What are your initial thoughts, Diesel? Like Elijah said, I feel like it's a good move. I don't, I don't, or well, I not the same timeline, but I don't see why they'd push it back that far because you do have a multiverse of madness coming out like what two months after or like a month after. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's understandable, but I, the way as far as they pushed it back, uh, I don't know. I feel like it kind of be stepping, it's going to get stepped on by multiverse of madness. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the box office is definitely going to suffer um, in those closing weeks. Uh, definitely won't hurt the initial box office, but it will hurt its long-term projections. Um, but also, I do think that if they do this, they are adding either a Tom Holland or Andrew Garfield cameo. Um, I don't think you do this strictly off of No Way Home. I think you kind of also go off of the momentum of No Way Home and add that to the spectacle of Morbius and the addition of doing these villain, villain-centric films and bringing one of those Spider-Men into the universe finally. And this is the perfect opportunity. You've done the delay. Um, you can add a cameo. You can do some reshoots. We haven't got any confirmation that they're doing reshoots, but it's possible. Um, there is time. And I do think it's a possibility that we do see a Tom Holland or Andrew Garfield Spider-Man in this film. That being said about Andrew Garfield, um, we've heard Andrew Garfield say that he's open to returning to the Spider-Man role if it's right. What are your thoughts on that, Stizo? I feel like that'd be beautiful. Coming off of how Amazing Spider-Man 2 is reviewed by fans, it's not that good because of the Electro and the Green Goblin, how they had Harry and how they cleaned it up with No Way Home. I feel like that'd be a beautiful redemption for him because Andrew Garfield is actually a great Spider-Man. So I feel like that'd be a, a beautiful way to revive his Spider-Man series and also Sony keep their version of that going. I feel like that'd be great. Definitely. I think it would give Sony a little bit more of a 
we we know they have majority ownership of Spider-Man currently, but I feel like they would feel more invested in the character because we know that they didn't want Tom Holland. We know that they didn't want Zendaya. We know that they didn't even want John Watts. So for them to kind of have their own rendition come back and have this momentum, um, I think it's, you know, a very likely possibility that they do transition to focusing on a Sony-verse with Andrew Garfield and allowing the MCU to continue within this multiverse spectacle and keeping Tom Holland in Marvel. Um, I think it could benefit both parties. And I really think that it could work really well for Garfield as well as Holland. What are your thoughts, Elijah? Um, well, going off with like Stizo said, or really what both of you guys said, um, yeah, the reviews for The Amazing Spider-Man 2 weren't that great. A lot of people didn't like the plot. And a lot of people thought that No Way Home really brought life and really gave justice to Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. So I think whatever he appears in, um, I'm hoping he plays a more major role. So I don't, I've, it's Morbius. I hope that he is in it for more than like 10 minutes of screen time. But I think whatever Andrew Garfield does decide to play Spider-Man again, and that it'll be something big and not something as small as just like a 10 minute on screen cameo, you know, it was great to see him again. I feel like that was just the introduction to what we'll have uh, more of. Definitely. And I definitely think that, you know, we've heard the talk, how little these guys get paid being Spider-Man. They don't get a box office intake. Um, we know that Tom Holland's initial appearance as Spider-Man, he made about 500000 um, which to us, you know, that's a large sum of money. But to the actors, you know, for that big of a role, a Spider-Man role, it's one of the biggest you know, characters in the world. So I think Garfield will provide with that leverage. He has Oscar buzz. He's won multiple awards um, outside of the Oscars, um, outside of the Emmys. And I really think that he's, you know, tuned this caliber of an actor. And uh, he's done some amazing performances, uh, especially in 2021. And I believe that he has the capability to truly, truly carry that franchise if he were to come back for The Amazing Spider-Man as well as the Venom and, you know, work with these villain-centric stories. I think it could work out really well for him, for his career, for Sony. And also for that brand of Spider-Man as well. Um, and with that being said, with that being the time it's right, we also know that Garfield said in an interview that he improvised the I love you line to Holland and to McGuire. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on seeing that report a lot? Um, I thought that was actually great because when I saw it, I in my head, I was like, that was would be funny if that was improvised because it just looked like he actually just loves playing Spider-Man being on screen with these two other Spider-Men that he actually probably loved to watch. Um, you know, Andrew Garfield really has a deep love for the character. So it's really fun to see that, uh, that, that line was improvised and that he actually, um, meant what he was saying. Definitely. Yeah. I, I really appreciate his admiration for the character, his embodiment of the character. Um, we've seen, you know, what he's done in different communities and what he really represents to children that love Spider-Man. 
So just knowing the love that he has for the character, we know that he loves these fellow actors and respects them as well. What were your initial thoughts on seeing this as well, Stizo? Uh, like, just like the same thing Eli just said, and that's beautiful, I feel like, to, to love the character and to have him return is beautiful because I feel like if you love the character, the role is different than you just doing it just to do it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I feel I feel the same as you guys. Yeah, I, I just really appreciate, you know, the love and the dedication that Garfield, McGuire, and especially Holland, that they put into the craft for this character. Um, I have truly never been disappointed with the Spider-Man movie. Um, from the time I could watch TV, I've never been disappointed with, you know, one of these films. And I would love to see Garfield get the opportunity to continue to reprise its role. And I look forward to seeing more content with Andrew Garfield, even outside of Spider-Man. Um, we really have seen this actor grow and become a household name, not only from being Spider-Man, but be being a singer, being a dancer, being a tremendous actor, an award-winning actor. And he's just truly evolved and become this greater entity than just being guy who played spider-man and i think that's the most beautiful thing out of what we've seen with his career but with that being said about the evolution of people i want to talk about the book of boba fett we just watched episode two. and i want to get your favorite your favorite moment stizo um what was your favorite moment from episode two definitely gonna be when he walked uh when he went to that bar and the lady told him that uh though the Fets uh run Tatooine now and he said he didn't believe it. So when he walked outside and then all of a sudden everything got quiet and it was kind of just a silence and just just this ominous feeling. And then you see the twins come around the corner and they tell Boba, like, yo, this city is ours, like you know, and Bova was like, he basically, he wasn't backing down. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, that was probably just my favorite part of the episode. Just that whole energy and that whole confrontation right there. I love that. Definitely. What was, what was your favorite moment, Elijah? Um, I think my favorite moment was after Bova stole the speedsters and it was kind of just like a funny moment and the Tuscan Raiders start to, uh, they start to do it. They know all they know best and uh, they just start breaking it down, but he brought it to, uh, to them for them to ride it and to stop the train. So he kind of gets angry and I thought that was just a really funny scene. So that's probably my favorite scene uh, from episode two. Okay. My favorite moment from episode two is when they're interrogating the assassin and they threatened him by dropping him into the Rancor pit. And he, you know, we see him flashing back and forth, looking, trying to see if the Rancor is going to come and attack him. And right before the gate completely opens, he just, just blurts out, the mayor sent me, the mayor sent me. And the Rancor is dead because Luke Skywalker killed it. Um, I think that was just a hilarious moment, a hilarious callback. Um, the detail that they put into this Rancor pit 
you know, staying true to what has happened previously. I thought it was beautiful, you know, seeing the rats, seeing the pit just as it was, um, joking about the rancor still being in there. I really enjoyed that moment. It was hilarious. And just the continuity that we see with, with the storytelling, we never really see too many plot holes in Star Wars. And I really appreciate the detail that these writers go. Uh, with that being said, we were possibly wrong about the mayor. And I want to dive into what the mayor was talking about as far as saying a family is harder to take care of than being a bounty hunter. And I want to get your initial thoughts on that, Elijah. Um, I thought that scene was really interesting. So, um, so I really thought he was going to pull up on the mayor and he was going to be some menacing guy that tells Boba that like, look, I did sell, send the assassins. Like we don't like you, but that's not what happened at all. So uh, um, it was really interesting for him to say that um, running a town is not about being uh, not just about being a, or running a family is not just about being a bounty hunter. Cause really that's all Boba Fett knows is being a bounty hunter. So he just intimidates people and just like how we see in when he dropped him into the pit, he, he, he just intimidated him. He didn't really kill him. He just intimidated him. And if he had to, he probably would have killed him, but um, right at that moment, but he didn't. So I think that was, uh, that's interesting, but yeah, I think Boba Fett uh, in general does have some learning to do if he wants to um, take over, actually take over the town of Tatooine. Definitely. And he definitely will go through his growing pains as we will see during the season. And I do think that it's interesting that we saw the mayor kind of give Boba a few handouts as far as hints was what he needs to do next, um, who he needs to look out for. Um, and, you know, just warning, like, this is not what you think you're stepping into. You know, this is like a, you know, a mob, real crime boss levels syndicate. You know, this is not, you know, three levels. You know, you have your crime lord, and your top boss, and then you have, you know, this giant emperor above them. You know, this is deeper than just, you know, some crime family trying to run Tatooine. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than the mayor. It's bigger than politics. So I, I kind of also want to get your thoughts on this as well, Stizo. Um, do you think we were wrong about the mayor? Do you think that, you know, the mayor could still be evil, that he could still be threat for Boba, or was that just a deflection? I feel like he, um, <laughs> I feel like it might have been a deflection, but what he told Boba, like Elijah said, all Boba knows how to be is a bounty hunter, and him telling him that you know it's bigger than that or it's harder than that because you never know having to look after all these people somebody could be betraying you some fishy could be going over here there as a bounty hunter all you're looking after is yourself so i feel like if the mayor had any ill will he didn't necessarily show it, but I don't want to count him out. But right now, 
they're making uh the hut well the twins look like the big bad guys right now. So maybe something could develop, but as of now, no. Okay. I can I can I can agree with that. Because I do think that it was more of a deflection. Um we may see more conflict with the mayor, but I don't think he'll be um as big of a player as we initially thought after episode one. Um, I don't think he's going to be dictating shots. I don't think he's going to be sending more assassins. I don't think that he's going to be testing both anymore. I think it'll just be on a more cordial level, but also uh, both of them trying to intimidate each other with their power. Um, but I do think the mayor is still somewhat edgy. Um, and we could see some more conflict with him as well. But with you mentioning the twins and the huts, uh, I do want to mention that they have Black Corsantin, uh as one of their assassins or bodyguards. And with the appearance and the history between him and Boba Fett, uh, what do we think this means for the exploration of Boba's paid assassin days under Vader and Jabba? And do we think Corsantin will be a big player in this series as well as other potential series? I'll start off with you, Steven. Definitely. I feel like, well, they're going to have to have a conflict. Him and Boba, they're going to have to fight it out. Because as you see, he walked up and was just, I am Boba. Like, he isn't Boba Fett, one of the most <laughs> dangerous bounty hunters in the whole galaxy. So, I mean, uh, I think so. We're, I mean, we're going to have to, yeah. Okay. What do you think, Elijah? Yeah, I think uh, going off what Tizo said, um, I think we're definitely going to have to see him again at some point. I know he's, I don't have too much background knowledge on him, but um, from what I do know, I know he's, he as well is one of the more deadliest people in the galaxy. So um, seeing a conflict between him and Boba Fett and uh, kind of looking like, um, He's kind of not scared of Boba Fett in a way, and Boba Fett was kind of looking at him like he they were both weren't scared of each other. So I think that gives right for both of them to meet again in the future. But um, I mean, that's just what I'm hoping for. Yeah, and I want to mention we did see the detail, and I caught it that Corsantin has the mark from a lightsaber above his left eye. That in the comics, if you know. He received that mark from Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I want to ask, is it realistic to see Chrysanthemum in the new Obi-Wan series? And I'll ask you, Elijah, first, if we could possibly. Yeah, I think it's uh, completely possible, depending on what happens in the Book of Boba Fett, though. So we, we obviously don't know if he's going to say something about Obi-Wan Kenobi or maybe he... Boba Fett kills him in a way or something. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure exactly what time period um, Obi-Wan, the Kenobi show is going to be taking place in. I think generally it's going to be in the same time period because uh, Vader is going to have an appearance. So uh, I think that would be interesting to see uh, both of those, uh, a character connect to both of those shows the way Boba Fett did with the Mandalorian. Definitely. And I think I like the way that Favreau and Filoni 
are kind of finding these different characters that can needle thread these stories that have these connections to multiple different characters because Chrysanthemum has a deep lore that not a lot of Star Wars fans talk about um, between his relation with Vader, with Jabba, with Boba, with Dr. Aphra, um, which we'll speak about in a moment. Um, he has a deep, dark lore, and I would love to see the, the possibility of maybe a Wookiee series, um, whether we see individual episodes on characters like uh, Chewbacca, different episodes on Kersantan. Uh This is the first Wookiee bounty hunter that we have finally seen. Um, so I would love to see more of him. And I would definitely love to see him go toe to toe with Obi-Wan as well and to really show how dangerous he is as well. But Cizo, do you think we could possibly see him in Obi-Wan? Definitely. If if you did say that there's a lightsaber mark above his head and there's only really one Jedi at this point in time that is still alive, you know, after the Order 66. So, yeah. I've, without a doubt, we're going to have to see him. And, yeah, Obi-Wan was the... So they might have put a bounty on Obi-Wan, and he might have went to kill Obi-Wan. So I feel like, without a doubt, we're going to... He's going to make an appearance, or if not, we're going to see a fight between him and Obi-Wan. Definitely. Um, I'm just very excited about seeing that character possibly threading the needle. Uh but with me mentioning Dr. Afra as well, could we possibly see her make an appearance in a future series? We want a Dr. Afra show. If you don't know Dr. Afra, uh, she's a Indiana Jones style character based in Star Wars. Um, she's very prolific. She's an archaeologist and she has worked with countless bounty hunters as well. Um, I think the introduction of these two characters could, you know, create a different lore in Star Wars and create a different type of fan base for a lot of different people. We see the stand cams. We see everything on Twitter. If you're active on Twitter, you know that people love individual characters. And I just think Dr. Afra has a lot of viral potential as well. But I want to get your thoughts on this, Dizo. Do you think we'll see more characters like Dr. Afra? after seeing Black Santon? I think so. I don't know much about her background, but I do know she went from, I think, working with Darth Vader to actually being hunted down uh, by him. Well, not directly by him, but she was an enemy of the Empire at one point. So I feel like we're going to have to. Definitely. And I would like to see the exploration of that as well. What do you think, Elijah? Do you think we'll see a Dr. Afro-type character? Or do are there any other characters that are connected to Black Kersantin that we could see as well? Um, like I said, I'm not really um, too in tune with the Black Kersantin backstory, but I did just do a little research on Dr. Afrin, Afra, and uh, I think it's be a really interesting character to see in live action. I'm just reading the backstory now and the uh, she did work for Darth Vader and ended up faking her own death to uh, escape from her uh, work from Darth Vader. And she went with two droids. So I think it would be cool to see some droids. Um, 
some actual like uh, maybe R2 style droids or BB style droids in uh, the book of book that I think that would be really cool. Definitely. And remarking the hiring of Black Chrysanthemum by the twins, the twins tell Boba, bloodshed is not necessary right now and sleep lightly, bounty hunter. Do we think that we could see a surprise attack in the next episode or possibly the finale? Do we think Black Chrysanthemum will be the final battle in the finale uh, with this rivalry with the twins? Where do we think this is going? start off with you Elijah um I think it was really just a, a warning I for me I think Boba Fett's really been too lenient with having his helmet off in public to be honest if those assassins really wanted to get him they could really could have just shot him from afar so to me I think he's really does have to just sleep with one eye open and I think he's got to be wearing that suit a lot more um I think yeah, I think he's got to do it exactly what they said because he's making enemies that he didn't even know he'd be making um, after killing Java. So this is something he unexpected. So now he's got a whole other thing on his plate and he's got to think about it in, in real time because it's happening now. Definitely. What are your, what are your thoughts on this, Diesel? Like Elijah said, I think, it, I think it's just a warning, if anything, because if they wanted to, they could have killed him right then and there because they had them surrounded. I think all he had with him, who was Finnick? Yeah, I so, believe it was Finnick and the, and the Gamorreans. Yeah, I think if they wanted to, they could have killed him right then and there. So I think it might be, it was just a warning then, but it's going to be maybe an ambush or it's definitely going to be some conflict later down the road. Yeah, I... I think it's possible that we see a little bit more of the twins, but I'm not sure they are the direct plot line that they that Favreau and Filoni are going with. Um, we just got confirmation that Filoni is the director of episode six. So I think that will be a big climax episode as well. Um, but with that being said, I don't know if that's the direction that they're going, that the twins are gonna be this major player. Um, I do think that they want to show the underground world and show how powerful the Huts are, but I don't think that they're going to be the central villain and the central rival of Boba, but they will be uh, somewhat of a player. I just don't think they'll be the major player. Um, and speaking of Boba, I want to talk about this healing pod. And I know, I know, Elijah. It's it's hilarious. I think the 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 scenes of them showing him going back into the healing pod. It's really funny, and how they go back to these flashbacks. But I kind of want you to speak on that a little bit on your perspective of the healing pod and the flashbacks, Elijah. Um, I think we talked about it last time that we didn't want it to be a. Um, a hinder to the writers that that they could just go back to it whenever they want and um, it's looking like that's what it's becoming and I hope that's not what it becomes but mm-hmm. um, that to be honest that just looks like what it is so I'm, I'm just going to keep out hope that it's not going to be a um, a saving point for them or they could just return them to the healing pod whenever they want but we'll just have to see 
Yeah. For me personally, I think this being such a flashback heavy episode and relying on the healing pod to even create this, this type of, you know, storytelling. Um, I think next episode, I, I really hope we don't see anything dealing with the healing pod. I hope we see more current events, what's going on. Um, when I, I've, I've watched the episode three times. So for me, the first time I watched it, I was a little, you know, a little upset about how heavily they relied on backstory in this episode. But watching it the third time, watching it all the way through, kind of understand why they wanted to kind of develop the backstory of how Boba has gotten to where he is. And I appreciate that. I appreciate the development of the Tuscan Raiders culture. Um, but I don't want this to be a crutch for the writers. I don't want this to be the directing point of storytelling. When you create something like a healing pod for someone to come back to, to be able to tell a story, it becomes too video game-like. And what I mean by that, it becomes like a save point. It's like going to GTA V and you're Franklin, and every time you want to save the game, and remember all of the data that you just ran through, every person you just fought, every car you just stole, everything you just shot, you go back to that bed. And I don't want that. I don't want this to be GTA five. If that makes sense. I know that, I know that sounds funny. I know what I, you mean. But I don't yeah, want I this. Completely. I don't want this to be reminiscent of that. So for me, I don't want to see the healing pod in episode three. Um, if we do see it, I want to see it lightly. I want to see Oba coming out of the pod and not going in. Um, because we've seen, you know, him getting this vision, where the staff comes from, where his connection to the Tuscan Raiders come from. We've kind of gotten a sense of where Boba was and where he is now. So I kind of want to get your thoughts as well on that, Stizo. Um, how do you feel about the healing pod? How do you feel about the flashbacks? I feel like, well, every time we see him in the healing pod, he's having a flashback. Mm -hmm. So I feel like maybe he's trying to remember something or it's just, this could just be, you know, them letting us know that he isn't fully healed and he's trying to heal. And it's just them letting us see what he went through up until the point to where he's at now. You know what I mean? So, cause I feel like he's not totally healed from being in a Sarlacc pit and all that. So I'm not necessarily mad at it, but I do know what you mean. That's them. I don't want it to be a crutch. So, yeah, but I feel like it's still a good way to throw the flashbacks in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm big on not giving writers crutches. I, I want them to expand on the story, not necessarily run backwards, if that makes sense. Um, I really appreciate them diving into deeper lore. I appreciate them showing us what Boba has done because to a certain extent, we didn't really see much of how Boba got to where he was in The Mandalorian. We just, oh, Boba's back. You know, we just kind of appreciated it then. And this is their time to tell us what happened to Boba and what Boba's mental state is. 
well, I kind of understand what they're doing with the healing pod, and they're using that to kind of just show us, you know, what Boba's been going through, how he got out, how he survived the desert. Um, you know, these different aspects that they're kind of showing us through these first two episodes. But I don't want that to be the focal point of, I believe, an eight-episode series. I believe it's going to be eight episodes. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I don't want that to be, in my opinion. Um, but with that being said about Boba in the flashbacks, see the training montages and as well as the staff crew, uh, creation and him becoming a Tuscan Raider and the development of their culture in Star Wars. Um, what were your initial thoughts on seeing all of this even? And how do we feel about the Tuscan Raiders now? I feel like it's just him, I don't know, actually like meshing in and becoming one of them. And I guess it's kind of showing a more human side to Boba, I guess, because all of we've ever seen him is just this, you know, cold, badass bounty hunter. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's a good way to, for us to like really get to know him and the stuff he's been through and what he's experiences, his experiences, and to let us see a more human side of him. You know what I mean? Definitely. I really appreciate seeing the more human aspect um, of Boba Fett, how he relates to people, how he develops relationships, how he becomes understanding of their circumstances, of their culture, of how they survive, and really truly gains respect. And we kind of see how the Tuscan Raiders have taught him how he should be running as the Diamo. And we hear him say in the beginning of episode two that he, I believe it was at the beginning of episode two or at the end of episode one, that he wants to rule Tatooine with respect, not by fear. And I think we kind of see that that he wants to earn respect in episode two and really lead with respect, not with fear, not with overbearing, um, not with you know malicious intent, really just being respectful, um, being able to learn, also being able to teach and being willing to understand what people, what people embody. And I think we really see that curated in episode two heavily. Uh, what were your thoughts, Elijah? Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. How or really great how they got us to care about the Tuscan Raiders in these two episodes. Um, the first episode, I was a little iffy on the flashbacks with the Tuscan Raiders, but I think they really brought it together in the second episode. And I like how they showed, like you said, Sad creation of his uh, new weapons and um, him getting the black robe that we see him appear in in the Mandalorian. So I think it was fun finally seeing that because, um, as we know, the the so called mayor of the little town in the Mandalorian had Boba Fett's armor for a little while after uh, Jawas took it. So um, I think it was great to see that uh, that all of this stuff is coming full circle into one story. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, with the development of the culture of the Tuscan Raiders in Star Wars, 
I really want to talk about how Boba enforced attacks on the sand routes uh, at the end of episode two and how that translates to what we saw in the Mandalorian as well, which you pointed out, Elijah. Uh, would you like to go deeper into that? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's in the, um, obviously we know the when Boba enforces the tax after um, they stop the train, take the people out. Um, but I think it's in the episode five of the, chapter five of the Mandalorian, where he's with the teenager and um, they're going through the sands and they encounter the Tuscans and the Mando is telling him that they, they're demanding something. So he makes him give him his binoculars. So um, it's really, like I said, um, it's fun to see these shows come full circle. So I like what they're doing, um, making it all connect to everything with like the little Easter eggs and such. Yeah, I, I really enjoy what they're doing um, as far as connecting the two. Uh, I, I really I really enjoy the fact that they had that little Easter egg creating the tax on the sand routes and, you know, Boba really showing that, you know, if you want my if you want my respect, you will respect these people and you will leave with your lives, essentially. Um, and the fact that he created the tax or as he said a toll on using the sand routes and giving them the protection of the sand people to return and to relay this message uh, i really think it was very insightful i thought it was a great moment I thought it was a great moment for the sand people and just the connection with the mandalorian i thought it was great um, just from you you know remarking that and me having to you know recollect that 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 happened as well but as far as boba what do we think those visions represented as far as having the spice blown on his face after finally being initiated as a tusk raider uh steven what were your initial thoughts on the spice i feel like that was him i guess kind of having a introspective moment you know having to really confront himself to I guess move on if you know what I mean uh, like to face his demons and his fears and stuff like that and as you see him finally like at the end when he breaks free of that you know he can start anew I guess and uh, move forward as we've seen him do definitely and for me, honestly, uh, when I when I watched that scene, I've seen it three times. I really, I really recognize it as like a rebirthing uh, Boba Fett. Uh, I I really see it as a rebirth, and you know, there's so many different cinematography moments, just the relaying of Boba watching his father leave him, and sticking his hand on the glass, and watching as Boba Fett leaving the Sarlacc pit, pushing his arm out as if he was breaking free from the shadow of Django. That's what I, I kind of get these different moments of, you know, Boba truly becoming his own person, not really being the clone of Django Fett, but being the son of Django Fett. 
And I don't think we've really gotten that many moments that outside of the Clone Wars. And I really appreciated seeing that because it gave us the opportunity to understand where Boba is mentally. He's distraught about losing his father, but he also wants to be his own person. And there, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of detail that goes into these shots and the understanding of the vision that they want to curate. And I really appreciated those final scenes in episode two. What were your thoughts, Elijah? Um, I think like exactly what you guys were saying. I think it was a um, kind of like Boba finding himself moment. Um, that's really just what I got out of it. Like Boba was kind of looking back and really figuring out who he is. And I think that's kind of what the spice does for the for the people and uh, why it's so valuable for them. Yeah, I, I just really think that it was a great development for the character. Um, we kind of get beneath the show that Boba has kind of laid. And I think it was really introspective writing as well, uh, not only for the cinematographer and, you know, I believe it was the director as well. Uh, they did a great job of displaying this. The editing was top notch. I believe that this, this was a great moment uh, just for the development of the character. Uh, but as far as Boba and his development, uh, how do we feel seeing Boba watch Django leave him as well, Steven? Feel like um, uh, I don't know. I guess it's just like hell. I don't know. I'm st I'm stumped about that one. Uh, I don't really have anything on that part. You have any thoughts, Elijah? On um, seeing Boba, on seeing Django leave Boba. Yes. Um, I think it was just a, a coming full circle of what we see in in. Um, I forget what episode we, I think we see a scene of that in one of the films, but I think it was kind of just a flashback scene to um, what we've kind of seen before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe it was in episode two, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I think this was, you know, as I said, a great job by the cinematographer from the editors, from the director, uh, just, Beautiful combination of the writing as well. Just being able to put that to screen was a great moment. And with that being said, did we like how flashback driven this episode was? And I'll start off with you. Uh, did you say you're starting off with me? Oh, I'm sorry. I said I'm starting off with Steven. I apologize. Okay, cool. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm sorry. You kind of lagged. I'm sorry. I feel like it wasn't bad, I actually, because the flashbacks were really meaningful, mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like we're not going to get too many more, you know, since we're getting to like kind of deep, deeper within the series. So I feel like it's good. We also got to see some more of what he went through in his training and him really becoming his own kind of person. Mm -hmm. So I love the episode. So the, I, some of the, the flashbacks were, I want to say, one of the better parts of the episode so i felt like it was a great way it was great okay what were your thoughts elijah 
Yeah, I think like Stizo said, um, it was just good that uh, that these flashbacks actually had meaning. I think, like I said in episode one, I wasn't really interested in flashbacks, but now that um, what we got in episode two, now that it's come together, really, I th- I'm really excited to see if we get just a little bit more. I don't really want um, a ton of flashbacks. I don't want it um, every single episode, but. I wouldn't be mad if we watched um if we could watch just a little bit more. Definitely. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's uh going to be oversaturated. Uh I hope it's not. But I think a good healthy balance of showing what Boba has done and how he's gotten to where he is is still okay to show throughout the series. Uh but I know as all three of us have said we don't want it to be a crutch. But was a, a great episode. I think it was great for Star Wars. I think it was great for the storytelling. And, you know, just being able to thread multiple needles, getting these Easter eggs, uh, getting these, you know, cameos, and being able to, you know, expand on the universe. You know, whenever we get the chance as fans to see the universe expand, more of these characters from the lore pop in, I think it's great. It's great for television as well. Uh, were there any final thoughts on the episode, guys? Uh, I mean, I just thought it was great. I think it was a good finishing up to episode one, and I can't wait to see what they do with episode three. What about you, Steven? I love the episode. I'd, I'd probably give it, I won't give it a 10 out of 10. I'd probably give it a 9.2 because mm-hmm. I loved how you know, they introduce another badass bounty hunter that's, you know, both him and Boba looking at each other like, yo, I'm not afraid of you and vice versa. And, you know, him stepping into his own shoes and just all that was beautiful to me. I loved the episode a lot. And that's really it. I'm excited for episode three just to see where everything's going with uh, the huts. And if the mayor could be a problem. Definitely. And with that being said, I want to transition to your side question that you had for us. Uh, <laughs> could you go okay. ahead and could you go ahead and see what you have? All right. Well, in episode three, Revenge of the Sith, when they found out that Anakin had flipped and went to the dark side, Obi-Wan told Yoda that he wanted to fight Palpatine because he didn't know or didn't want to face Anakin. Well, Yoda told him, you fight Skywalker, I'll handle Palpatine. Well, we all know how that went down. Yoda lost, Obi-Wan won. My thing is, do you think Obi-Wan could have beat Palpatine? I'll let you start off with Um, I think it's a possibility. I think the way we've seen him take down Anakin, he was um, supposedly the chosen one um, until we've seen Luke Skywalker, the actual chosen one. So I think it's really interesting to maybe have been able to see that, but we didn't. And I think maybe Obi-Wan would have put up a, bit, a good fight, but I think... Um, 
that fight was really for one of the chosen ones. And I think Obi-Wan uh, did a great job with what he did. Definitely. I, I agree that you know, the possibility of Obi-Wan beating Palpatine, the Emperor, as you, as you said, I think it's very possible that Obi-Wan could have beaten Palpatine. Um, as I said earlier, before we, before we got on, uh, I think with a clear mind that Obi-Wan could have easily beaten Palpatine. Um, as long as he wasn't enraged, I think that he could have honestly, with a clear mind, with meditation before, uh, with the moment to just breathe and, you know, you know, get his fourth sense intact, I think that he would have been able to defeat Palpatine I don't think it would have been an easy fight, obviously, but I do think that Obi-Wan is capable of performing that. And well, we've seen... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, you can continue. Uh, well, we've seen how Mace Windu, he basically beat the Emperor, taking him to the brink of death. If Anakin hadn't interfered, he would have won that fight. I mm-hmm. feel like it It might not be a far stretch for Obi-Wan to, to have dealt with the... Uh, to have dealt with Palpatine. If it was strictly a lightsaber battle, I feel like he might have been able to. But if if the same thing happened like with him and Yoda where they started fighting with the Force, then yeah, Obi-Wan would have definitely lost that. But it definitely, because I don't think he was as strong with the Force as an Anakin or Yoda or definitely a Luke Skywalker or possibly even a Palpatine. Um, I don't think that he was strong with the force. I think he was more disciplined. I think he was better trained. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that he was as intact with the force as the others. Um, not, not at least until he was older. And the rendition of Obi-Wan that we see that would have been fighting Palpatine, I don't think that if it was a force and lightsaber battle that he would have won that battle. But if it was a strictly lightsaber battle, I do believe that he could have beat up. And, you know, with that being said about the Star Wars, I want to dive in a little bit about Marvel as well. It's reported that Charlize Theron and Justin Timberlake have potential MCU roles coming in. I kind of want to see where you guys think they could be casted. And we also have news that Justin Timberlake may be playing a major villain. So keep in mind that Justin will most likely be playing a villain or a villain with a redemption. So I want to start off with you, Elijah. Who do you think Justin will be playing? Who do you think Charlize will be playing? Um, Honestly, I've completely stopped. I know we talked about it before, maybe Dr. Doom. So, um, I mean, I, I got to say, I wouldn't be totally interested in that. And I also have to say, I, I can't really see where he would fit in MCU. So I won't put my too much input on that because I don't want to say something that I can't really say. I haven't seen too much with Justin Timberlake in it. So um, I won't comment on that much. Okay, what about you, Steve? Um, I could see uh, 
like we discussed earlier. I'm just throwing paint at the wall here. Uh, I could see him being Doctor Doom or a Silver Surfer as being one of the horsemen for Galactus. As far as uh, I'm sorry, what's her name? Uh, Charlize, Charlize. Theron. Mm-hmm. I could see her possibly being a maybe a Susan Storm, since Fantastic Four could be getting introduced in the near future. So, uh, <laughs> like Elijah said, I'm I'm kind of stumped on that. I don't really know, but this is just me just throwing paint at the wall. Definitely. Um, for me, I am going to say that Justin Timberlake could be playing the Silver Surfer. Um, we speculated on that before the podcast, and I think it could be a role that he could play well. Um, I don't think he would have too much dialogue. He would be allowed to show how serious of an actor he is while also not being forced Forcing the audience to say, hey, that's Justin Timberlake. We could see him for the role that he's in and not for the actor he is, if he were to play the type of character. And for Charlize, um, I think that she could be playing a character that we may not think of. Um, Doesn't have too many characters that come to mind. Um, she could be Invisible Woman. Um, I won't rule out her playing Sue Storm. Uh, it's very possible she's been an action star. She has acting prowess. Um, she fits the description. If they want to go the older direction as far as the age of Sue Storm and of Reed Richards, it makes sense. Um, she has the acting prowess. She has the star power. So... I think she could be, you know, these could be two Fantastic Four related characters. And with that being said, that they could be playing major roles. It only makes sense for them to be cast as Fantastic Four related characters. Now, I don't want Justin Timberlake as, you know, Mr. Fantastic. I hope that's not the case. But if we were to see him in a role like Silver Surfer, I think it would be more acceptable uh, amongst the general audience as well. But I believe Charlize Theron could be a great, a great form as well. What do we think about that? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, definitely would be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I just think that uh, the possibility of those two big name actors, you know, the, the introduction of Fantastic Four, the culmination of it, it's, it's coming. You know, we all know that, you know, they're working on it in production, it's in pre-production, the writing is being done, and all we're waiting on is, you know, casting confirmations, and, you know, hopefully, you know, soon, that first trailer, and I believe that first trailer will, that, that first trailer will break the internet, there is no doubt about it, when we finally see that first trailer for the Fantastic Four, as well as the new X-Men. Um, mm-hmm. So I that is my speculation. Um, I'm going to document it on Twitter uh, because I want to be one of the first people to say that these are my guesses. Because if I am right, <laughs> you guys will see me plastering this all over the internet. Um, 
I have not seen anybody else make that <laughs> prediction. So that, that's my prediction, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> and now I am here to cause chaos. Yeah. Elijah, TJ, <laughs> I have for you two. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'd like you to tell me your answer and why. Okay. Okay, okay. And I will be ready to debate depending on the <laughs> pick. So we have in one corner the Cape Crusader, Arkham's hero, Bruce Wayne, the Batman, <laughs> versus the kid from Hell's Kitchen, the human. That is possibly the closest thing to a mutant. Daredevil. Mm. In a fight, who do we have winning? Batman. <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's, it's so tough to even just, for, for me to, to even just give you an answer because I'm not going to downplay on either of their abilities, on either of their martial arts skills on either of their instincts. But I can say that Daredevil is a human, like Spider-Man that is the thing to a mutant. Um, I think he does have an edge from a sense uh, standpoint, but I do think that if Batman has prep time, um, if you give Batman two days to prepare for both of them in a New York style area, I do think Batman is coming out on top. Um, See, people give Batman this handicap, this this prep time handicap, and I feel like that's not fair. Cause no, 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 no. See, see, I, I, I think Batman takes it without uh prep time because, um, I think Batman without prep time probably already has something in his arsenal to probably hinder your hearing and your maybe like your sense of smell. So without that and without him being able to see, he's kind of. He's kind of out of luck because we all know um, Daredevil's greatest superpower is is the senses that he still has. It is. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think Batman, uh, in my yeah, in my eyes, I think Batman just might be too difficult because you know they both Daredevil plays and with his eyes closed, but um, Batman is also the king of the night, so. It would be a good fight. Okay. But I do think this would be one hell of a fight. Um, and I would love to see, you know, I think they have those epic rap battles of history stuff and um, those, what would happen if these two fought type of YouTubes. So I would definitely like to see a Daredevil versus Batman style verse. And I won't give it flat out to Batman. I, I don't think I can do that. Um, just because just because Daredevil Daredevil is still unpredictable. Daredevil Daredevil can still, you know, outwit you. Even if you try and take away one of his senses, if you take away both of his senses, he's still going to react based off of uh, I believe it's eco motion, uh, mm -hmm. the feeling the feeling in the ground. Um I believe he still has that sort of sense as well. 
So you really can't just count out Daredevil, um, in my opinion. And I think that's where Batman is going to draw the line because even taking out his weaknesses, you still have to viably fight him because he's still going to know you're there. He's still going to combat. He's still going to he's still going to come at you. And if you have watched the Daredevil series, you know how they named the Murdochs, you know. And Daredevil's not going to give up. He's he's not going to give in in that type of fight. Uh, so I just think you know it it could even be a draw at some to a certain extent. But I will give for the sake of the conversation, I will give Batman the benefit of the doubt and say that he'll win. But I don't think it'll be any. No, I'm not the biggest Batman fan. We all know that. <laughs> so my answer is a little biased. Y'all had some very great points. And yes, knowing Batman, he is prepared for almost anything. So he probably would have something that would, you know, probably take out his... Uh, Maybe I wouldn't say it would take out all of his senses. It'll probably take out two of his senses. But I feel like with the Daredevil, even if he has one sense, he could still kind of keep Batman at bay. When it comes to actual fighting ability and combat, when it comes to technique, I'd have to give that to Batman. But when it comes to just like, I think Daredevil is probably like, as far as, regular humans go he probably is like peak he probably is like the best as far as like regular people but thank y'all for your answers and I agree with both sides and I have just one more question Bane versus Craven the Hunter oh I'll take Craven. And only, only because I feel Craven uh, just outwit Bane. I think uh, Bane does have a little bit of smarts, but I think he's more brought on over Brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely taking Craven, um, just because he's he's able to get to that strength level of Bane wall, so being able to outsmart him. Um, I don't think that there's anything that Bane really has over Craven. Um, outside of you saying he has more brute strength and the ability to amp himself well but you take away one of those plugs with you know a weapon that Craven has and what does Bane have alright this has been Cinema Reviewed I'm your host Nato 210 Toriano uh, I have Stephen Woods Jr. with me as well as Elijah Boxhill Elijah, you can go ahead and drop your socials first. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Optical Cinema and Instagram if you're into that. At, uh, you could find me if you search up Optical Cinema as well. All right, and Steven? You can follow me on Twitter at Samastizo, S-S-A-M-A-S-T-E-Z-O. And you can follow me on Instagram at Stizo. That's Stizo with four O's.
All right. And I'm your host, Nana Tuano Toriano. And you can follow me on all platforms, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at 90210-T-O-R-I-O-N-O. We appreciate you listening to Cinema Reviewed, and we hope to see you again on the next episode. You can check us out wherever you get your podcasts and follow the Cinema Reviewed page on Twitter at Twitter as well. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Thank you.